0: Day on Ag News daily. We have customers in Iowa that do two and a half acre grid sampling. We've got sampling uh, customers in Ontario um, that only do site-specific uh, sampling.
1: Well, happy Tuesday to everybody. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell to bring you our episode of Ag News Daily today. But before we get kicked off, don't forget with grasshopper mowers, nothing gets in the way of hashtag Mo day. Well, Delaney, how you doing?
2: I'm good. And I got to say, Tanner, I'm actually looking forward to hashtag mow day because that means that we're done with snow and cold and crappy weather.
1: I know we got teased here in Iowa this year. We had a couple of really nice 70, almost pushing 80 degree days here towards the end of February. And I feel like March has just taken that away from us. So I'm I'm ready for March to be over. How about you?
2: I am as well. Yeah. It's hard to believe that the end of this week is April 1st, April Fool's Day. You going to pull any pranks on us, Tanner?
1: Well, I was afraid you were going to pull one on me, the new guy. <laughs> So I'll be I'll be leery of what Friday's episode looks mm, like.
2: Okay, I'll have to think through that one. I might have to get a little creative.
1: <laughs> no, just d- d- don't worry about it. It's not a big deal.
2: <laughs> we got to haze the new guy. It's part of your welcome process.
1: I would only expect it. I wouldn't expect anything less. Well, good. But Delaney, so I was reading kind of a follow-up on an article I thought about bringing it to our attention yesterday um, but I will today so Ukraine exported their first grain to Europe by train over the weekend so that was the news from the weekend i wasn 't going to hit they had uh, exported supplies of corn to Europe by train since their sea ports remain blocked from that Russian invasion you know traditionally they ship almost Everything over ninety percent of their exports go through those Black Sea ports, and uh, typically grain exports exceed five million tons per month through that route. Um, the Ukrainian transport authorities said they might be able to get as many as six hundred thousand tons through rail out the Europe direction, but are concerned that there could be a lot more pressure um, from the Russian forces to uh, kind of stop that. And then as of yesterday afternoon, the Ukrainian agricultural minister, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, uh, said that that 600,000 is is probably more difficult uh, to realize as instead of normally getting that four to 5 million tons of grain per month out, that volume is going to fall down to just a couple hundred thousand.
2: Yeah. And to follow up with that story a little bit, Tanner, he also, I'm not going to pronounce the name either. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it, but the agricultural minister there in Ukraine also appeared on television on Saturday and said that the ability to export grains was getting worse by the day and would only improve if the war with Russia ends. And so we had that piece of news, what you're suggesting there and potentially seeing some grain get out. So that is certainly good news. But We're also starting to see folks try and guess what they think the long-term strategy play here is for Russia. And it appears that the chief of the Russian army said they are committed to complete liberation of Donsk and Luhansk regions, which are in the eastern portion of Ukraine. And so it essentially sounds like a lot of folks are speculating that they just want to take control of eastern Ukraine where the native population is very pro-Russian and that's where a lot of folks are thinking they're going to call this thing a victory and peace talks will resume today, Tuesday in Turkey. And a lot of folks are actually optimistic about what these peace talks might bring Tanner.
1: Well, that's, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to say that's good news, but it's good when there's an end in near or end in sight and the end is near, but, um, I don't know if that's exactly the outcome that the world really wants to see. You know, obviously, if we can get a conflict over and resolved, uh, but we'd certainly like to see things go back to the way they were before it all started.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that those people living in Ukraine are not all pro-Russia. So certainly probably not the best to just make a blanket statement for those folks.
1: That's correct. So coming back to Iowa for my next article, um, unfortunately, the man who was found dead in an Iowa grain bin was identified. So 63-year-old Robert Wade Schittick of Williamsburg, um, unfortunately, uh, did pass away in a grain bin accident. But the reason I bring the article up today is the facility, and I don't, I'm not sure if you had reported on this, um, near Williamsburg, is owned by Kinsey Manufacturing. It has been leased to the Circle J grain of Williamsburg, uh, but ultimately that site is owned by Kinsey Manufacturing. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. You know, Certainly an unfortunate line of events, uh, but with an agricultural company, almost an ag giant, if you'd say Delaney, mm-hmm. at the ownership of this facility, uh, hopefully insurance takes over and it doesn't provide any detrimental factors there. Um, but that was the additional to that story, if you had reported on that from last week.
2: No, I hadn't. So thanks for catching that one there, Tanner.
1: Yeah, it is the season to uh, move that grain to town when you got an opportunity. But just a reminder to all of our listeners that um, there's no reason to get into that ban. And if you do, you shouldn't do it alone. You should have somebody there uh, to make sure you take all the right safety precautions. We don't need to see headlines like this. Uh, They're always sad no matter where they take place.
2: Absolutely that they are, Tanner. But I'm going to switch tracks here and chat a little bit about some news coming to us from South America, because JBS, which is, of course, a global leader in protein, has decided to start a production of fertilizers, of all things they have a new segment of the company i'm not going to try and pronounce the name of it but uh it's located basically in the interior of sao paulo and will have the capacity to manufacture about 150,000 tons of fertilizer per year and of course i think you know this comes as no surprise they said as they've been continuing to watch not only the brazilian agricultural sector but sectors across the world struggling to find inputs and uh, continuing to watch that market skyrocket. They said they wanted to get involved and help to operate in the agricultural input market, and they will become the first Brazilian food producer to use waste generated in the company's operations to actually manufacture the fertilizer, Tanner.
1: Wow. That's not... I hadn't seen that article. That's not the direction I thought you were going to go uh, (laughs) when you started talking about JBS. Yes, I
2: know. We usually see lots of uh, scandalous headlines in the news associated with their name.
1: I wonder if this trend is going to continue of companies that have scale, have size and resources are going to jump into the fertilizer realm uh, because they see how dependent the ag industry is on just a couple of sources. Uh, you know, It takes, takes a crisis, takes an event like this to really shed light. On things, and I wonder how many of those are going to actually stick it out and and come through with, you know, actual production.
2: And at some point, I'm thinking we'll probably see the market become saturated again, which is uh, good and bad. It'll mean hopefully prices get pushed lower for producers, but could see a lot of maybe access fertilizer that we don't necessarily need in the marketplace at some point in time. But I don't think that's coming anytime soon. And while we're talking fertilizer, Tanner, that's kind of been the big question mark as to what we're going to see on this week's prospective Plantings Report, which comes out Thursday afternoon. And essentially, I'm going to just say analysts have no idea what's coming down the pipeline, which <laughs> I think this year more than ever, we have no idea what's coming down the pipeline. But as a whole, most analysts are pretty in line with What the USDA February Outlook Forum called for 92 million acres of corn, 88 million acres of soybeans, and 48 million acres of wheat. And analysts are pretty much sticking in line with those USDA takes. The range on corn is 89.7 to 93.5 million acres. Soybean analysts range their estimates between 86 million to 92.2 million. Wheat's anywhere from 45.9 million to 48.9 million. And really, I've heard a couple analysts that are starting to suggest we might see more acres shift, but a lot of analysts are largely saying that even those fringe states that do have the potential to switch aren't going to be enough of a market mover to really see acreage shift a whole lot on this week's report.
1: So I think I spent about 30 minutes this morning scrolling Twitter, and I came across probably six or seven uh questions around are fertilizer prices switching your corn acres away from corn? And when you looked back through the comments, um it it was a mixed bag, but I would say about 25% of the respondents said um they had planted more wheat, winter wheat, to cut down their corn acres. Now obviously we know where where that would be geographically in the United States. Unanimously uh farmers were continuing to respond saying that their break-evens were still better with corn than to do soybeans unless you could guarantee higher bushel per acre returns on those soybean crops so uh i it would i would agree there's probably not going to be a lot of surprises in this report um you know we talked yesterday that there was an awful lot of fall anhydrous put on in the in the midwest corn belt region so uh, i don't expect there to be to be big changes myself.
2: No, I, I wouldn't think so either. But the interesting thing is this article that I was taking a look at and it was on the AgWeb Farm Journal website was basically looking at four potential surprises that could happen on Thursday's report. And a couple of folks were suggesting that there won't be any surprises at all, but there were. A, there's probably going to be some surprise that we can't predict at this time. But Jerry Golke, who I know you've maybe listened to Ch- chat before tanner um he said that really the caveat that he's still continuing to watch is even with a jump in u.s soybean acres south america he says has lost more than a billion bushels of soybean production between brazil and argentina so if you increased million, increased acres here in the u.s by just a million acres he said that's about 50 million bushels of soybeans but if you increase yield by a bushel per acre that's about 89 million bushels. So he said, it's going to be really important. We get a good yield on all the acres we plant because of that South American deficit.
1: Yeah, I could see where he's coming from. We we have so productive soils to where it's not going to take a significant amount of change um, to put us maybe back into a surplus position at the end of this growing year.
2: Yeah, and I think that's... Uh, probably what folks are pushing for this year. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> well, I have, as promised yesterday, I do have some rate news. So um, mortgage rates. So we're we're going to jump into the housing market, which is probably one of the largest indicators of economic driving or economic drivers uh, in the banking side of things. So mortgage rates climbed to their all-time high at the end of last week. So um, 30-year fixed rates went up to an average of 442 that surged up from 4.16. So we're we're nearing the five percent level uh that we have not seen in a very long time. These are the highest they've been since January of 2019. So over three years for a high where we're sitting, and there's a lot of factors that went into that. But it'll be interesting to see how inflation plays into this because over the weekend uh treasuries actually dipped. Now they fired right back overnight last night. Um, but where could we be heading for April? And a lot of the forecasts are coming with, you know, continuing to stick with inflation at 40 year highs, which is pushing these rates up. And a couple of um, writers here at the mortgage reports.com are saying we could see another 1% hike in mortgage rates. And Delaney, what that's going to do is it's going to make a realtor's job a little bit more difficult Because every time those rates climb, the level of house that a family or an individual can afford certainly drops. So if we have rising home prices, both construction and resale, um, it's going to be really interesting to see who is able to still participate in that market.
2: Well, that's the thing I was just thinking about, Tanner we've looked at a few commercial properties here and there and i feel like we've made some aggressive offers but we're still getting blown out of the market and i feel like that's it's really starting to kind of create this divide of those people that have a lot of cash on hand maybe from subsidy dollars or ppp loans i don't know where they're getting this cash but it feels like it's really starting to create a divide between those who are able to afford these things and those who aren't
1: yeah. And, and we started in the housing sector because it's only going to trickle into the commercial and ag sector. So we, as a lot of the listeners know, their operating notes probably went up. Oh, uh, well, That's probably been two weeks ago now when the feds uh, raised their rates. So Wall Street Journal Prime went up and we've got those forecasted to continue to go. Uh, a lot of the those increments are going to be dictated on how well the housing market is continuing to move inventory at higher mortgage rates. So if the signs are positive and you can see that as a listener and as a farmer, then you can probably expect for a larger than a quarter percent increase the next time the fed goes to meet. So that that's a good indicator for us to pay attention to.
2: Yeah. It certainly sounds like that's the case. And We certainly saw some of that negative sentiment creep into the grain markets yesterday. We saw a lot of selling pressure to start the week. Soybeans and wheat led the way lower, about 46 cents lower in May. Soybeans, 45 cents lower in uh, the CBOT and 40 cents lower in Kansas City. Wheat. Corn was also pretty low yesterday and hasn't opened up yet this morning as we're recording this but has been trading lower in the overnights as well so it'll be interesting to see if we get a turnaround Tuesday this morning or not.
1: Yes, we'll just have to wait and see.
2: We certainly will, but Tanner, I tell you what, with that, I'm all out of news. What about you?
1: I've uh I think I've run through my news also. I may save one for tomorrow so I can I can be done as well. I'm excited for the interview that we have today. Now uh it's Tech Tuesday. This is a new one for me, uh, but I'm excited to see how the conversation with David McMillan goes at Devron, the data collection and soil insights company. Uh there's so many advancements, Delaney in technology, especially directed right at agriculture.
2: And that's part of the reason we've continued to do Tech Tuesday segments here on the Ag News Daily Podcast Center. But before we turn it over to that conversation with David, let's hear a quick word from today's sponsor.
3: It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there on That Grasshopper Mower... You don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com.
4: For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to David McMillan, who is the president and CEO of Devron. Tanner did a great job of introducing this conversation, and like Tanner is, I am very excited to be chatting about soil health and just chatting to you in general, David. So thank you so much for tuning in and chatting with us today.
0: Yeah, no no problem. Thanks, Ashton, for having us, and really excited to have a conversation with you folks about you know, what Devron's doing and I think just the overall opportunity we see in soil health and agriculture uh, across the U.S. and Canada.
4: Of course. And, you know, we've been having quite a few conversations about soil health here just as planting season's really gearing up. So I'm very excited to dive further into that with you today. But before we do that, why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you got into the soil health industry?
0: how much time do we have <laughs> um i i have a suppose an interesting non-traditional uh story so uh i grew up in a in a big city up here in canada called toronto and um have worked in you know a few various areas of you know new business growth um found myself into agriculture in 2015 and 16 looking at you know, how we could bring remote sensing and, you know, drone data to producers in an efficient way. And that sort of started our our journey into where we are now at Devron, where we're very much an integrated agriculture data company. Um, we primarily think about things from a boots on the ground perspective. So we have a network of data technicians across Canada, the United States that they go directly to the farm and they help people collect all sorts of You know, data that's needed for them. And in about 2018, we started working with a soil laboratory up here in Canada called ANL Canada. And we started talking about the value of, you know, soil data. And one of the reasons why maybe more and more people weren't using it in their production decisions was just it's expensive and difficult to get in a timely basis. And we had all these people that were running around the country collecting uh, drone data and at the time installing weather stations. And we thought, hey, well, we could start soil sampling on behalf of all our customers. Um, so that really opened the door, I guess, three years ago into, you know, oh, my goodness, look at this this data layer and how impactful it could be in informing people, you know, the right amount of nutrients to use and how better to look at um, their farm over a four or five year period. And, and so that just that just started this whole thing. And it's interesting, like after the first year of being in business, we had all these customers that kept coming back to us and you know, referring us to either an ag retail that they worked with or another large or small farmer that uh, they were neighbors with. And that's just kind of been the evolution of where we are now, where um, we're really trying to not just collect this information, but also digitize it in a way that our customers can share it in the ag ecosystem. So I'm sure you know you and your listeners would know that People like to look at their data in all sorts of different places, and we're not really centered on creating that home uh, that everybody comes to. We're trying to figure out a way to get this information into places that you know people can make more informed decisions from um so i I hope that's kind of a a lens into where we started um what we've kind of morphed into and and now maybe how we see the world a little bit and how soil health and soil data plays a a really foundational aspect of of that vision.
4: I'm interested to learn a little bit more about the data that you guys are actually collecting from the soil. So can you teach us a little bit more about the soil sampling, the imagery, flights and other things that you guys are doing?
0: Sure. So from a soil perspective, it's really whatever the customer needs, Um, you know, in certain parts of Canada. Still bulk density sampling is is the basis of how information is um, displayed and analyzed. So, you know, we have customers that say, look, we need a five quarter section sampled this spring so we can make fertility decisions based on uh, the bulk uh, density data we have customers in Iowa that do two and a half acre grid sampling. We've got sampling uh, customers in Ontario um, that only do site-specific uh, sampling. We have, you know, four or five of the largest egg seed and chem companies that run carbon programs, uh, leveraging our ecosystem to do carbon sequestration benchmarking, which is a whole different uh, protocol. So really Everything we do is driven by what the customer need is. And we provide that kind of first mile ecosystem that allows someone to be out on a farm, you know, within two days to soil sample to any specification that uh, our customer would need. And, um, you know, from, from that act of labor to then taking that information and getting it to a soil lab and then having that information standardized to be back into an operating system where that customer views their data amongst their other production data um, is really important. So we think a lot about kind of like connecting those pipes and less about telling people, you know, you should be doing site-specific sampling over bulk density sampling over a grid sampling. Um, We believe our customers for the most cases know best of how better to run their farms and where there is that value-add resource to make it more efficient, if that makes sense
4: it does make sense and you know i'm interested to hear what you think about how devron is different than other companies that are doing the same thing you know in soil health i say the same thing um but just kind of in the same arena as you guys what really sets you apart from these other companies
0: um i think first and foremost is our our network of rural labor technicians so <clears throat> we're hiring people that for the most sense, come from agriculture and they're looking for ways to be employed back in, you know, maybe their hometown um, and they they don't want to leave the industry, but they also maybe don't want to be in sales and they don't want to sell cedar chem. chem. Uh, so we're offering this, you know, kind of new vision of what work can be in ag. Um, and I think, you know, that's a, it's a really interesting perspective of teaching people how to collect different types of data well. So, you know, in the in plant just before planting and then after harvest, our, our crews focus on soil sampling, you know, mid-season when the crops up, a lot of them fly drones and collect imagery data. Um, we can install weather stations. There's all sorts of things that uh, our network of people can leverage. And I think that's really unique. I, I think a lot of folks in ag tech and a lot of people in the data business and agriculture are are focused on you know, w- what algorithm they can provide from information. And we see the bottleneck today of producers being able to get good information uh, for not a lot of cost. And I think if we solve that, we'll be able to then give better interpretation and better insight. Uh, but there's a real lack of you know, labor support to do these things efficiently. And I mean, m- most of your listeners may be you know, knowledgeable to the fact that their input provider is also the one sometimes doing their soil sampling. But for the ag retailer, like it's a bit of a loss leader to have a, a very seasoned agronomist out in the field pulling dirt. Um, so our view is that we can empower this whole network and ag that needs good soil data to make better decisions, but doesn't really have a, a network or a low cost solution to start. Um, and then obviously as that has started to grow, we're able to provide other value add interpretations, you know, from it. And we own a, um, a software platform called FarmDog, which aggregates scouting data. So you start to be able to layer in scouting data with soil data. And then, you know, we're integrated in with John Deere and climate. Um, so more and more of this information can be shared where growers are accessing all of their information as opposed to, you know one central system
4: well as we enter planting season do you have any advice when it comes to soil health or anything to give our listeners you know who are actually working in these fields when it comes to trying to maintain that status of healthy soil
0: um i think in general like people should be soil testing more um, there's been an aggregate trend across uh North America, for sure, over the last 20 years of more and more soil data running through laboratories. And I think there's probably a bit of apprehensiveness to changing the status quo in ag in general, just because sometimes the immediate ROI is not always clear. But with fertilizer prices being where they are, I mean, you know, triple, perhaps even what some people were paying last year. There's a there's a real opportunity to manage input costs better and to use micronutrient blends better. And I think the only true way you're going to understand that is to be looking at uh, an investment into your baseline soil information. You know, I'm sure everybody has heard over the last 10, 15 years that there's variability in agriculture and, um, no farm is the same and no acre on each farm is the same. But really the only way to, I think, to systematize that decision making is to have broad soil data. And you don't have to be soil sampling every year, but you also should be soil sampling more than once every five years. Um, and I just think that this is a new standard that more and more people are moving towards. Like we've seen unprecedented demand. Uh, for our service for soil information, and I think with all the you know positive environmental um, pushes that are happening that are linked to agriculture, whether it be carbon credits um, or just new better nutrient management, being able to specifically point to a data point of where a farmer is today to where they're going in the future will be very valuable um, and there are i think there's a there's a lot of opportunity there that um, should be very prevalent i think this year and in the coming years for for growers in north america
4: well david if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you or somebody else at devron find out a little bit more information how can they reach you
0: uh i mean they easily they can go to our website at www.devron.com uh we've got a little live chat bot there that can ping anyone in the company really at any time of the day um, you know they could give me a call at uh, 647-963-2429 um and and really reaching out to any one of us uh in the company you know we're customer first we solve problems and uh we're really looking to engage with a, a greater you know customer base across the uh, the country and i will say like our head office is based in Kansas City in the US um but we do have little affiliate regions um you know throughout Iowa Minnesota um, Texas, Oklahoma, where we've got on the ground local support that can help growers, you know, figure out all the the details of of the micromanagement around this broader, you know, more macro perspective of obviously building soil health is valuable. So um, we're keen to be engaged on the how as much as we are on the why. And, you know, we really would appreciate the opportunity to work with anyone uh, in the country that's looking to change the way that they farm.
4: Awesome. Well, David, thank you once more for coming on for our Tech Tuesday segment this week. We certainly appreciate it.
0: Of course. Thanks very much, Ashton. Really appreciate it.
2: Well, again, a big thank you there to David for joining Ashton on the podcast today. And Tanner, certainly an interesting conversation there. Something to look into.
1: Yes, that'll be fun to dive more into. I think he just just tickled the tip. Of the story.
2: (laughs) Huh. That's an interesting way to put it.
1: Yeah. I paused there because that didn't come out as exactly (laughs) as I wanted, but uh, we're still learning here, aren't we? Yeah,
2: absolutely. We're still learning how to work with each other.
1: That's perfect. Well, one last message from our sponsor for the week.
3: It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there on That Grasshopper Mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com.
1: All right delaney do you have anything else for our listeners today
2: i don't think so folks we're uh, continuing to look for your input if you like us recording in the mornings shaking things up a bit if you like tanner you got some topics you want us to cover shoot us a note on facebook twitter and instagram at ag News daily tanner with that should we let the people go
1: let's let the people go